it's the kind of story that can feel so small compared to what's happening in the world. You know, like, why do we even care about this shit? The, the world's falling apart. Um, and just talking to people, I'm realizing how important it is for, you know, all of us to be um, showing these very small stories as universal. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Culturally Relevant, a podcast about film, television, art, and culture. I'm David Chen, and today I'm going to be speaking with the Daniels, the writer-directors of Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, a new film that's out in wide release this weekend. When I first saw Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, here's what I wrote on Letterboxd. Quote, once every few years, a film comes along that is so audacious, funny, original, technically dazzling, and thematically resonant, we feel blessed to have been alive to see it. This is one such film. It spoke to me on such a core level that it felt genetically engineered to meet me at this point in my life. It may be my new favorite movie of all time. No joke, end quote. I still feel that way today. Watching everything everywhere all at once, I felt like the first time I was watching The Matrix or Mad Max Fury Road, you feel like you're watching something that is so visionary, so incredible, uh, that you're only going to get to see a few of these in your entire lifetime. And it's like watching a star being born, or in this case, watching two stars being born, the directors of this movie, Daniel Shiner and Daniel Kwan. I was really excited to welcome them here today on Culturally Relevant. We talked about what inspired them to make this movie, how challenging this movie was to shoot, and we also delve into some of my reactions to the film. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. And I want to say a big thank you to all my patrons at patreon.com slash Dave Chen for supporting me and making this podcast possible. Specifically, I want to thank Kevin T, Ian, Stephen M, Sid Yadav, Stephen A, Dan F, Jeff E, and Mark W. Thank you all so much for your support. Uh, These are the executive producers of my work over at patreon.com slash Dave Chen. Be sure to sign up there at patreon.com slash Dave Chen for a bunch of bonus content, audio, videos, access to office hours, and more. Uh, But I'm really grateful to everyone who supports me there and makes this podcast possible. Of course, uh, if you don't want to give me any money, that's totally fine. Uh, It's very easy to support this podcast without any of that. Just share about it on social media. I would really, really appreciate it. You can also follow this podcast at Show. That's C-R-E-V-S-H-O-W. All right, let's get to my conversation with The Daniels. The Daniels, a.k.a. Daniel Shiner and Daniel Kwan, have directed music videos like Turn Down for What by DJ Snake and Lil Jon. They're also the writer-directors of Swiss Army Man, a movie I really enjoyed. Their newest film, Everything Everywhere All at Once, is opening wide in theaters this weekend. Here's my chat with them. Oh, and one final note. Uh, I don't think I really get into any spoilers in this chat. Uh, we do talk about some of the themes of the movie, some very basic plot information. But as always, if you want to go in completely fresh, skip this come back later after you've seen the film but i don't think you're in any danger of being spoiled anyway enjoy the conversation i'm not your husband i'm another version of one from another universe i'm here because we need your help very busy today a whole time to help you across the multiverse i've seen thousands of evelyns you can access all of their memories their emotions Skills. There's a great evil spreading throughout the many verses. And you may be your only chance of stopping it. Don't make me fight you. I am really good. I don't believe you. 
I'm David Chen, and I'm speaking with The Daniels, the writer-directors behind Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Yeah, for those listening, this is Daniel Scheinert's voice. It's way different than Daniel Kwan's voice. Hello, hello. Not that different. (laughs) (laughs) The Daniels, thanks so much for chatting with me today. Thanks for having us. Hello, everyone. I have come to understand that... The Filmcast, which is a podcast that I host, was one of the first film podcasts you ever listened to. Is that correct? Yes, I was um, I was in college. I was interning at DreamWorks Animation and um, I had a lot of like mindless tasks to do. And I discovered Slash Film and the podcast um, and I just started to just listen to every single episode for, you know, basically a whole, whole semester. Yeah. Well, um, our first music video is called Underwear and it's like... Uh, it's a ton of visual effects as people just dance alone. Um, and Dan was doing that one, a lot of mindless visual effects on that one that summer. Right. Yeah. But the thing that really stuck out to me was actually, I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, but David, I'm pretty sure you were the one who was like really hitting the drum, beating the drum for how to train your dragon at the time. Is that, that right? That's correct. Um, yeah. And I, I, I was a new intern there. And right when I got there, they gave us like a free screening of how to train your dragon. And I was like, okay, we'll see what this movie's about. And I remember just like being blown away by it and being like, so surprised. I'm like, this is amazing. And when I heard you, you know, kind of just sing its praises, I, I felt very validated. I was like, I like this guy. I'm going to, I'm going to keep listening to these people and see what, what I learned. Um, so yes, it, it was very formative for me. <laughs> Well, A, I'm super glad that you found the podcast as a way to uh, do other mindless tasks. That's like the perfect sort of fit for the podcast. So tell us briefly about what inspired you to make Everything Everywhere All at Once. There's two things that kind of collided. Uh, first of all, like we are maximalist filmmakers. We have way too many ideas. I actually discovered I had ADHD and was diagnosed while writing this movie. Um, and so it's impossible for us to pick one idea for a movie because we know it's going to take years of our lives. So that's, that's one factor. And then the other side of, of, of the coin was uh, we were just like everyone else waking up to the fact that life was becoming more and more chaotic. Um, Everything was, uh, we started writing it in 2016 um, (laughs) when the internet started uh, to uh, visibly destroy American democracy. And uh, it's kind of scary time. Yeah. Uh, and we were like, whoa, everyone's living in their own little worlds. Uh, what do you do about that? Yeah, all these narratives were colliding and people were, you know, when you, you could scroll through the um, your feed and, and you'd see like really upsetting news about, you know, something Donald Trump said. And then you just keep scrolling and you see a really dumb Pepe the frog meme. And then you keep scrolling and then you it's see like a, some a, awesome cat video. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and we're like, or we, some profound philosopher right. you know, blowing and, your and mind. So th- and then, this movie was a reaction to that experience and saying like, what if we can figure out how to exist in that noise by writing a film about that? And, you know, we set out um, to make this movie, not knowing what our conclusion would be. And that was kind of, um, it's been a really rewarding, rewarding journey um, and healing for us in a way that I, I, I hope that other people who watch the movie can can experience what we've experienced because mm-hmm. of this film. Although now that we're promoting the movie, we're spending too much time on the internet and we're becoming broken men again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, I'm glad it all circle. comes full circle. Oh. I assume somebody has, during your many interviews, somebody has brought up like Bo Burnham's Inside. Have you guys seen that? Uh, huge fan. Yeah. 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 There's Although that song that was announced to... uh, before he wrote any of those songs. So I think we influenced the writing of that song, not vice versa. Uh, <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah. 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 Well, the, yeah. Well, so the song is Welcome to the Internet and it kind of captures yeah. the fragmented nature of what it's like to experience the Internet these days. So, totally. um, yeah. Yeah. I remember watching that, that, um, 
that special and being like, this is this is such a unique moment for um, storytellers. It's the fact that one person could create all of this on their own in, in their bedroom and, and tap into um, everything that we were trying to work on, except for he was able to do it with like a lot less money, a lot less time and, and put it out faster than we could. I was like, oh, okay, this is, yeah, this. <laughs> and all it took was a yeah. few public mental breakdowns. Exactly, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but yeah. Uh, and a Panasonic was, was GH5. You know, exactly. Yes. Yeah. It's a real revelation. So I was instantly in love with this film right from the opening because um, I grew up as a Taiwanese American immigrant Mm. and my parents owned a Chinese restaurant. Um, The protagonists of the the film have a laundromat. Mm -hmm. Uh, The film captures the set dressing component of owning an immigrant (laughs) business extremely well. Um, There's just stuff. Everywhere. Everywhere. Every possible shelving unit is used to store something. Every space is occupied with objects. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about how you tried to capture that milieu? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because Quan doesn't it doesn't have a cluttered uh, <laughs> life. You should see you should see the rest of my yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it's I love it when other uh, Asian Americans see this film and um, either feel seen because of the production design or feel triggered depending on you know where you are. Um, and uh, that's yeah, my 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 father's side of the family they owned a bunch of laundromats in new york and then um, my mom's side of the family actually now they, they're running a bunch of restaurants that's like it's so like um this was very much like the world i grew up in and um we knew we wanted to make a movie about how overwhelming the world was and we wanted to allow the space to visually um kind of represent that and and swallow our character up in every frame um before she even got to the multiverse in, in a really fun way and and it just so happened that, you know, I had a bunch of old pictures of my um, grandparents' apartments over the years that I, I sent over to the the my set, our set decorator, uh, Kelsey Ephraim. And, you know, she, um, she hired a couple of other like Asian American um, crew members who helped her kind of just make sure we got it right. And they did such a good job. Like every little detail, every time I, every time, um, I look at it, I discover something new, even though I was there on set, it's still like this really beautiful portrait of, of, um, of yeah, what it, what it was like growing up with immigrant parents or immigrant grandparents, because I think, you know, people say this all the time, but like, uh, there's this, this feeling that you might have to one day, you know, get up again, move your whole life and lose everything. And so everything's precious. Let's hold on to everything. Um, because that's kind of the immigrant mindset. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, you know, they, they become uh, accidentally become hoarders. So it's 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 yeah. It's I'm so glad that people are, are like seeing it and recognizing their life in it. It's I'm so proud of that. Were there any details on set that you were like, man, they really nailed that one aspect of what it was like growing up in that environment? My favorite detail is the um, the free um, Chinese calendars from the Chinese grocery stores. Mm. That usually there's like five of them, five of them stacked on top of each other, and like none of them are on the right date. Like that's that. I don't know if you see it in the movie, but when I got to set, I was like, "Yes, you guys, you guys nailed it." Yeah, wonderful. Filmmaking usually requires a lot of planning. You don't shoot everything in chronological order. You plan for what sets and people are available. But it seems to me like this movie probably required a level of planning that was beyond a typical movie. Um, Sometimes, for instance, a character will make a motion, like they'll throw a punch, and Mm -hmm. you will then travel through multiple universes of that punch or whatever. They're taking a walk or whatever. And 
it just watching it. First of all, the the mind is barely comprehending what is going on. So like, I'm trying to like keep up with what's happening, but then afterwards, I'm just like, how on earth did they do that? Was every single shot planned? Uh, was it like meticulously storyboarded, or was it more improvisational and you found it in the edit? Like, how did you plan for this movie? Yeah, it was it was in between. You know, we don't we don't meticulously storyboard generally, but uh, we right. do have like. I, I think we have like too many ideas. And, and so a lot of times we're like, Oh, some of these won't work out and that's fine. We'll cut them out. Um, but we had like a pretty deep pocket of like all the different match cut things and all the different kind of transitions and things we wanted to try. Um, well, yeah, what does that I look like say- in the script? Like, is it just Michelle Yeoh throwing a quarter punch at this point in time? And then you could like match it up with something else later or it depends. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes we literally have it go like, She's in the laundromat and she gets hit. Now she's in the movie theater. And, you know, it, 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 we kind of list off the shots, um, which makes the screenplay very hard to read. But um, so I'd say like half the time on on um, on the screen, we actually had it planned and written out in the script form. And then the other half of the time was just discovery. And I think it's one of the things that we love about um, setting out to make a movie that's too big is that we'll never get to a point where we can meticulously control everything. Like we try our best. We, we try to plan as much as we possibly can. And we, we, we work our butts off with our crew to make sure um, to just like get the priorities right. And like, you know, store uh, or um, not storyboard, but shot list as much as we can, knowing that we'll never be able to do it all. And then just waiting for the universe to fill in the gaps. And it, I, yeah, I, I, I like to think of it as like, collaborating with the universe and just seeing what comes up and what ideas fall into your lap or what resources just happen to be, you know, right next to you um, to help um, complete the, you know, the movie. It is one of like our editor, Paul Rogers and both and Dan Kwan's favorite thing to do while editing is to find happy accidents, you know, where it's like, we didn't plan to cut from this to this, but oh my God, does it work well? Yeah. Uh, So like straight up through the, sound design process we're discovering new little like uh miracles you know which is so fun to be like oh that that just came together and, I'll, and now we love it i'll tell one story i know i i know we talk a lot and our answers are very long but one thing that happened really early on in our careers that um was really um terrifying and stressful and hard was we we once got pulled onto a um guest directing slot for um a tv show it was low budget and uh the direct the the writers were distracted and by the time we got on set you know we had been prepping the shoot without a script um and then by the time we got on set the script you know kind of blew up because all the writers were fighting and so we were literally just we were sitting with the cast we're sitting with the crew we have the location but no script. And so we just started shooting stuff. Um, just, just, or they to, would hand us pages on set yeah. and we'd be like, yeah. okay, let's, uh, yeah. You want to try to shoot this? But and, even when we were waiting for this, the pages to show up, like we literally just like went over to a character, like, okay, start saying this monologue, just make, make up some stuff, just, you know, like, and, and then we'd be like, okay, let's get this frame and throw some paper in the air and we'll figure out how it works later. And the whole time we we're shooting, I think all the producers and the writers were like terrified that the whole thing was going to be a mess. And they're like, um, what are these children doing? Yeah. Why do they keep shooting stuff that no one wrote? Exactly. And then we got in the edit room and like we, you know, I think we have a lot of confidence in our ability to edit because, you know, we've been doing it our whole careers. You know, before we could hire editors, we just do it all ourselves. And, you know, that process really taught us how much we could, um, how much. Because it turned out pretty good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they the, the producers were like shocked. Like, this is incredible. How did you guys do it? But I, I think we learned to trust our ability to um, 
have good instincts on a set, even without a script, but then, or even without proper planning and also knowing that the safety net of our editing capabilities, you know, I always say like a, it's a good chef can um, make an incredible meal with shitty materials. Um, and, and I feel like as editors, like that's the best kind of editor. Like if, if you're an editor who can take a mess of footage and make something good out of it, that's a real, it's a real mark of, of um, yeah. talent. The it Oscar sounds- for editing should like, uh, they should show dailies and then the finished product. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, Oh my God, give that, give that man <laughs> or woman the prize. Yeah. You know, it sounds like you just kind of have this instinct of like, Hey, at some point later, we're going to need this shot and you don't even know exactly how it's going to fit in, but you know, to capture it. And then later you can figure it out in post. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. like, or like that ingredient could be a valuable thing to have, you know, in the pantry you know just like oh it'd be good to have some like energy to help us transition let's let's throw some paper around yeah um yeah what was the most challenging thing to shoot in this movie (sighs) i mean everything was so hard um i'd say not as hard as what we're used to I, i think emotionally it was the most beautiful fun fulfilling shoot ever we were way less stressed than most of our shoots but then like logistically it was you know our our crew had to work their asses off, but I think especially for the fight sequences, um, you know, most most fight. I, I feel like a lot of big blockbuster action movies, like the amount of time that they get to shoot a single set piece, is probably more than our entire uh, film shoot schedule. You know, we shot for um, thirty nine days plus a couple of of pickup days. Wow. Um, and so that means like of the fanny pack fight scene, which normally should have taken at least five days of shooting um, just because of how specific all of it is and how um, precise it all has to be. So no one gets hurt. Um, we ended up doing that in one day. Um, and uh, it was so hard and it was so, but at the same time, so fulfilling because it was so fun. It was such a fun thing. And I think it is, it's a testament to our crew um, and how, um mind melded we all are like we're all like very much used to working with each other we've been working together for over 10 years some of us and um i feel like you can't move with that kind of efficiency and that kind of um level of uh, high level of execution if we weren't all exactly on the same page the whole time hmm. yeah so do you all, want another all, answer all the fights yes <laughs> uh, uh, give me another answer that was we a good one down. that was a good one uh we shut down uh, as COVID numbers were going up, but like uh, there wasn't a lockdown yet, but we, we shut down with one more day of shooting still left. Um, and so then we had to do some pickup shoots. Uh, one of which is uh, Ki Kwan and Michelle Yeoh discussing divorce in the family RV. Uh, but uh, Ki lived in LA and Michelle was in Europe and COVID was raging. And uh so we shot it exact like in my least favorite style of filmmaking, you know, where the actors weren't there. They had to act opposite doubles. Michelle had to act on green screen. Uh, you know, like I watch behind the scenes videos sometimes of big blockbusters and, and they're supposed to be showing off how cool the visual effects are. But like, as I watch it, I just get so sad for the actors and for the crew. And it's like, it must've been so boring on set to just shoot like imaginary characters against t- like tennis balls and green screens and that, that none of the actors were there together. Uh, and we had to do that um, for that one scene. Uh, but it's a testament to key and Michelle that like, it works. you can't, yeah. that it works emotionally. Yeah. And then also our, our VFX artists did a great job, yeah. uh, but it was so demoralizing to like shoot 
uh, this emotional scene over Zoom against green screen, like <laughs> at, well, at while like, Michelle's in Europe and we're it's like four a.m. Yeah, and four a.m. is we're on Facetime cold. audio and she's like, "What did you say? You, you cut out?" And we're just like, oh, <laughs> "Brutal, brutal." Yeah. yeah. Well, it all you couldn't tell any of that in the final film. So great. Thank you. you I, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's talk about the visual effects of the movie. Um, the visual effects are obviously dazzling, but you didn't use a conventional post production VFX workflow. Um, yeah. Daniel, you've tweeted about this a little bit. Can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about um, how you worked on the VFX for this film? Uh, and my my sense is there's a lot of DIY uh, VFX going on, like people self-taught and so on. And I guess I'm also curious, like any advice for people wanting to to do it themselves today? You know, mm -hmm. but yeah, talk a little bit about the VFX. Yeah, I mean, totally. It all it all goes back to when we were in college. I had an idea and I didn't know how to pull it off. And I was like, I started YouTubing it and I, I discovered After Effects and there was all these tutorials on After Effects. I was like, oh, this is cool. And um, pretty quickly I became the After Effects guy at my school. I, would, I, I was teaching lessons. The school actually paid me to like uh, run the like lab lessons and stuff like that. Um, I started doing all the graphics for the, um, for the local TV show, our channel. And so um, when we met, I was like, I, I, I'm going to teach you how to do After Effects. You teach me how to do uh, live action because he was he was more of like an improv theater live action guy. And um, that collision of, of, of um, disciplines um, ba basically accidentally birthed our style of visual effects, which is like mm -hmm. kind of cartoony, but very raw. It feels like very homegrown, but at the same time, the ideas are so fun that it doesn't matter and so it's a lot like we when in doubt we like to shoot everything practically we just don't necessarily shoot it all at the same time you yeah. know and so it's like oh I'll get that ingredient that ingredient that ingredient let's put them together right and 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 so we started to use this for our benefits in music videos because music videos have no money and if we can do our own visual effects we could you know um make the the budgets um, stretch out in a long way and we started meeting other directors and and we all started teaching each other more and more tips and tricks and we started working with each other on our projects like one of our first first big projects where we brought in a bunch of other directors to help us do the visual effects was um, we did a tenacious d video and we brought in um, this small team of people to basically you know crank out like a impossible music video for a very low budget but um because we're all friends and because we're all kind of learning with each other, it was actually really fun and, and um, exciting. And so we've been mostly trying to recreate that process on any project we can. And in the past, when we've used bigger, um, bigger post houses, it's really hard for us to integrate into their system because it's, it feels so counterintuitive to our creative process because we like to, we like to get our hands dirty. We like to interact with the artists and, and uh, that's yeah. not how it's we love to like be right in now. the room or screen share and usually there's like lots of middlemen and they're also like watching their clocks to see how much to charge for how many notes you give right. um so with this movie long story short like uh we had a team of friends uh do over 500 visual effects um and there's like seven people and like the core team was like four or five people uh and um and we got to have we had to have our fingerprints on it. Like sometimes instead of giving a note, we would just open up the After Effects project and tweak. And yeah. that was just such a, it's so nice when you're tired of talking and writing emails. And uh, it was also nice because we got to just spend time with our friends who are very smart and talented and they had opinions of their own. But yeah, um, um, none of us went to school for visual effects. We all just kind of learned everything on the internet. And uh, um, you asked for advice. I, I don't know what is available these days because I think the, the resources have 
only grown since we started, but like mm-hmm. video copilot was where I started. I don't know if that's still um, the most up-to-date and relevant but thing, but like, um, I feel like Andrew Kramer, wherever you are out in the world, thank you. <laughs> thank, thank you for, you for your, doing that for free. Free lessons, exactly. Yeah. And that's our thing. It's like, it's it's such a beautiful gift um, to the film community. These, these, these people who have been, you know, basically teaching this next generation how to make movies. It's really, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I've been reflecting a lot on that lately and how we are very much a product of this time. Um, um, yeah. And I have two more pieces of advice. Uh-oh. Uh, one is that like, our, our ethos on this movie for most things was like, whatever the audience is looking at, do that practically. Uh, and you can get away with murder if it's if it's the rest of the frame. You know, like yeah. 80% of the stuff on camera, no one's looking at that. That's not the story. Like, uh, And so like, you can make a dangerous stunt so safe by just putting pads everywhere. And it's the easiest visual effect ever. And like most of our visual effects were things like that. Just like, oh, that just made it easier to shoot. And no one's looking at that but like the raccoon is real and the stunt is real. And the thing that breaks or explodes is real. And then uh, a lot of cleaning up and then a lot lot of of cleaning up. Yeah. Uh, And then um, the other uh, thing is like to Dan's point, like being self-taught on Google, like some people aren't, you know, um, don't do well in school settings uh, slash don't have the money um, to go to film school. But like, uh, the internet is like such an opportunity for people with undiagnosed or diagnosed ADHD uh, to just like follow your interests and, 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 uh, and that can be so empowering and way to learn to make things. And there's not one way to do it. And you can, it's like, there's this free school available. Uh, Just be careful that you don't end up on the wrong websites, I guess, but uh, (laughs) the internet can be horrifying, but kind of incredible empowering too. Agreed. I have a couple more questions, but I want to take this opportunity to just talk a little bit about my, about my reaction to the film because yeah. uh, this might be the only chance I get. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I think you saw from my tweets, uh, Daniel Kwan, I don't know if you shared with uh, your colleague that like... Yeah, we saw. Uh, yeah, that the movie profoundly affected me, as it did many other people. I'm sure, I'm sure you're used to hearing about this all the time. Um, but I think what... There's a few things I just wanted to tell you about it. There's a, there's a scene early on in the film when Michelle Yeoh is like running to her daughter's, you know, she's catching up with her daughter who's like left in a huff. And she wants to say the right thing, but she can't. She just says, instead of saying like a kind, supportive thing, she says, you should lose weight, which is yeah. totally something that my mom would say. Uh, you know, during an extremely challenging moment, you know, she would, Mm -hmm. there's just something about the way that her brain is configured that, um, can't say the thing that she knows she should say, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's true of many Asian parents and specifically Asian moms. Uh, Let's just, let's put it out there. Yeah. Let's put it out there. Um, (laughs) and I think that what I love about the film is that, that like that becomes, the theme of what the, the the great evil is in the world, right? Like mm-hmm. it is organically tied to what the main big bad, you know, character in the movie is, is that mm-hmm. because expectations are so high, um, everything becomes meaningless and depressing, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I just really loved the way that the film executed that. Sec- secondarily, I'll also just say that... Um, 
you know, I I've watched like Crazy Rich Asians and Fresh Off the Boat, and it's like, I'm like, okay, these are cool. Like, the, I'm really glad uh, that these movies and shows are great successes. But I've been curious, like, what is like the next level of representation? Mm-hmm. Um, how can we go beyond just like, uh, um, you know, I'm an immigrant and my lunch smelled when I was in, you know, at, in middle school, and it was that was weird right. for me, you know, like, and I feel <laughs> yeah. like. This movie answers that question for me. Wow. You know, this movie is like, this is how you take the immigrant experience and like tie it into something that is like epic and universal and powerful and dazzling and technically, uh, you know, extremely competent but also impressive. Um, Thank you. So anyway, I just wanted to share that with you personally. <laughs> wow, um, um, that yeah. means so much because that's that's that's. You know, it's really wonderful when uh, you you put a movie out and then your intention is is fully received and people, you know, like people reflect it back to you. Um, I think that for a long time, I was like self-conscious of the fact that like, you know, I didn't believe that um, our story was worth putting on the screen because I didn't think people would want to watch it or whatever. And this experience is showing me just how important it is, um, not just for the Asian American community, but you know, for everyone. Um, I've been reflecting a lot about the fact that everyone is kind of pointing to the 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 question of generational trauma and generational love that our film is trying to tackle, um, which you know is filtered through a very specifically like Asian American um, children of immigrants kind of narrative. Um, but now and, and like and it, it, feel, it can it's the kind of story that can feel so small compared to what's happening in the world. You know, like why do we even care about this shit? The the world's falling apart. Um, and just talking to people, I'm realizing how important it is for, you know, all of us to be um, showing these very small stories as universal. Um, for instance, with the generational trauma thing, I'm realizing now as a new parent that um, the act of our generation kind of breaking the cycle of generational trauma can feel so small. And yet it probably is the hardest thing any of us will ever do. And maybe potentially the most important thing any of us will ever do, because whatever we pass down to our next generation is going to affect the way that they deal with all of the, you know, the hardship and conflict and turmoil that's going to be coming at them within the next 50 years. Um, we're at a point where, you know, the, the uh, to me, I'm realizing the, the question of generational trauma and whether or not we break the cycle is going to be the difference, uh, mean the difference between like um, survival of, of the human race potentially. Because if we don't understand, if we don't raise children who are emotionally intelligent, who can see each other, who can communicate with each other through all of this noise, who, who aren't hung up by the you know the traumas of their past and instead are able to look forward and, and look forward towards the possibilities, then I don't know if, you know, I don't know how well we're going to fare as a, as a species in the next hundred years. So like, to me, I'm like, this is so important. And yet it's the smallest thing that I was so ashamed of, or, or not ashamed of, but it's the smallest thing that I felt like no one would care about. And mm-hmm. now that I've put out this movie, I almost, I want to like take every filmmaker friend of that I, I know and just like shake them and be like, that small thing is so important. And you don't know why yet, but you should chase it because someone's going to need to hear it. Someone's going to see it. And maybe it'll become so universal that it like literally changes the conversation um, of, around how we talk about it. And so I, thank you for saying all that. And I'm still processing all this, obviously. I, I know we're going over time now, but um, it's uh, it's so lovely to have conversations with people like you who can just, um, yeah, reflect things back, back to us as the filmmaker. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think the conclusion is uh, this movie is going to help to save the world. So congratulations yeah, that's, on that's that. What yeah, I that's, think that's what you're trying to say. The yeah. Daniels. We'll see. Or it might spawn like a death cult and we'll be so embarrassed. Yeah, we'll we see. hope that's not the <laughs> case. The if that's your takeaway, yeah. uh, we don't approve. <laughs> the Daniels, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations yeah. on the movie. Uh, I'm telling everyone I can to go see it. And uh, best of luck with the movie and whatever you do next. Thank you, David. Thank you, sir. So nice, right. to, so see nice you. to meet you finally in person. That's going to do it for us today, folks. I didn't have time to chat with the Daniels about weekly recommendations, but I have a weekly recommendation for you. I had a chance to check out a documentary over on YouTube called Power On, which is about the history of Xbox. Super interesting documentary. It's multiple parts, each one around 30, 40 minutes. Uh, but it's rare to see a company make a documentary about themselves, or in this case, an organization, Xbox within the company Microsoft, make a documentary about themselves that also has a kind of warts and all coverage of their history. Uh, they really showed you kind of the ups and downs of what it was like to create Xbox and getting to the gaming space as a big behemoth like Microsoft. And uh, I have really been enjoying it as a gamer and someone who is a deep observer of that space. So be sure to check it out. It's on YouTube. It's called Power On and it's about the history of Xbox. All right, that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of Culturally Relevant. Thank you so much for listening. Again, do feel free to share this podcast on Twitter or any of your socials and follow this podcast on Twitter at CREF Show. That's C R E V S H O W. This podcast was produced and edited by me, David Chen, and it was powered by Simplecast. Check out simplecast.com for a great podcast management and analytics solution. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>